Good morning, everyone. Please, let me encourage you to come back out this evening. Bring friends and loved ones with you. Uh, we're going to have our Christmas cantata tonight. And the musicians work very, very hard to present a beautiful, beautiful cantata. So please come out and support them tonight. It is, it is your act of service. They work for months and months and months. I've done it. I did it for about 11 years, 10 or 11 years. And it is very, very tiring and difficult to memorize those songs and to present a beautiful um, cantata tonight. All we have to do is come and enjoy and reap the benefits. Isn't that awesome? All you have to do is come back. So please come back and bring loved ones. Let's honor their hard work and their service. Well, my sermon this morning is a follow-up to last week's sermon. And I, I do not enjoy or revel in the topic. This is a burdensome sermon, and I am very glad that this is going to be the last Sunday for now, for a time that I have to talk about it. Because it's not a sermon that the American mind or heart is ready to receive right now. The, the unfortunate reality of the church today is that the world and its philosophy has infiltrated the church and not the other way around. Instead of the church being the light to the world, the world has been the darkness to the light. And I don't think that many of us, many of us here, maybe many of us in this country, at least in the West, are ready to hear the words of the Lord on the topic of divorce. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19, 3 through 9. I heard a lot of shuffling around last week. Stephanie told me when I got home it sounded like I said Matthew 9. It is Matthew 19, 1, 9, 3 through 9. Before I begin to read this passage, I do want to invite you, if you have any questions about what I've talked about either this week or last week and going forward, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Call me at any time. Your marriage is, is on the rocks. If, you're, if you just want advice in your marriage to prevent, if you want to be proactive on how to prevent your marriage from becoming a loveless labor, call me. Our church number here is 305-685-6307. It's on your bulletin. My extension is 321. I'm here. I'm here to help. I am not a licensed family therapist. I am merely a pastor who brings to you the Word of God. 
and I am willing to help if you need help. I am willing to listen if all you want to do is talk. But I invite you, if you have any questions, to call me. Today's message is for three realities, past, present, and future. Most of us won't find ourselves in, in two of the other categories. We're going to find ourselves in you, usually one of the three. We're going to find ourselves in either married or not married or divorced. Or we're going to find ourselves at one of these three places and we're going to find ourselves pursuing one of those three. And I want us to have an open ear to all three sections of my sermon this morning. But I want to begin this morning with the Word of God and let it be the light. I want you to think about this because it's weighed heavy on my heart for quite some time, but especially this week. Are we willing to let God's Word be our final rule in faith and in practice? Listen to the story. And Pharisees came up to him, that is Jesus, and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? We spoke about why they're asking this question last week. A debate was going on behind the scenes between two rival Pharisaical schools, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. The school of Hillel was a more liberal school. And it taught that God's Word, based upon Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, permitted divorce should a husband find fault with his wife for any reason. Should she lose her attractiveness? Should she burn the beans? How do you burn beans? Open up another can. But should she burn her food? I don't have time to cook beans the way you guys cook your beans cooked just warm them up honey they were buy one get seven so we're <laughs> every time I say this someone no man you got to leave the beans in the water overnight come back for a fortnight later and the beans are ready it's like I want to eat beans now I don't know if I'm gonna want beans two weeks from now But Hillel per permitted divorce based upon the phrase, should the husband find anything indecent in her? And he said, anything. Should she lose her attractiveness? Should she not be a good cook? Anything. He was very lenient. He was very liberal. And the school of Shammai, a rival Pharisaic school, came in and said, no. Indecent in her means sexual immorality. And that's it. We're going to see this morning that Jesus is definitely closer to one of those two schools, but certainly gives a more messianic, new creation point of view that Shammai would not have known unless Shammai had received the Holy Spirit sometime after the ascension. So this is our text. It says, And the Pharisees came to him, and they tested him by asking Jesus, basically, which side of the issue do you find yourself? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Lawful according to God. 
Not according to the law. So for us Americans, it is lawful to divorce your wife for any reason. Just about. It is lawful to divorce your spouse for any reason. Just about. Here, this is a patriarchal society. Only men can divorce their wives. Wives can't divorce their husbands. Corinth, it's a little different. Because they're not Jews. They're Hellenistic. They're, they're Greeks. And women had rights there that Jewish women didn't have. And they could divorce their husbands. But this is the issue at hand. And I brought to you last week this point. Listen to how Jesus answers their question. And I wanted to just let this sit there for a full week. So that any of us pondering divorce or pondering marriage with divorce as an option, should we lose favor with our spouse? Should our spouse not do exactly or not be exactly what we want or what we expect? Jesus taught very seriously. His answer is this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Pharisees looked at this verse, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, should he find anything indecent in them? They looked at that as the pinnacle, the great teaching on marriage and divorce. And Jesus says, no, there's even a more clear teaching on marriage and divorce it's that from the beginning God made it so that human beings would leave one loving relationship under their parents where they observed a faithful long-suffering marriage between one man and one woman and that they would move into their own forever marriage between one man and one woman and that those two people would become one flesh have you not read? Oh, they've read. But their attitude was, how can I come to the text looking for permission, not God's intention? And Jesus says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, they pushed him. They said to him, Why did Moses then command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Moses allowed. They say Moses commanded in Deuteronomy 24.1. No, Jesus says Moses permitted. He allowed for it. He didn't command it. Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? But Jesus says to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. What is hardness of heart? It is this. It is unbelieving in both mind and in will. It is a declaration that these people do not reflect the people of God. This is not to say here that these people were just at a time hard. It is to say that that type of attitude that says, I will sever what God has intended to be, be together forever, 
That type of attitude is from an unbelieving heart. Believers don't act like that. Your hearts were hard. Read through Scripture and where you find that phrase, hardness of heart, you always see it coupled with unbelieving, with rebellion, with rejection of God. Because your hardness of heart. Moses permitted you. He didn't command you. He permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Jesus says here, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, purge us of the false teachings of the world. Lord, we learn about marriage and divorce from television, from media, from water cooler talk, from Facebook gossip, from unbelievers, and yet we never run into the all-trustworthy Word of God on this subject. Oh, how hard our hearts must be There is no trustworthiness in the world. There is only trustworthiness in your mouth. And your word has spoken. Lord, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. Amen. I hope the baby has ears to hear too. I want to make several points this morning. The first point I want to make is this. Divorce isn't a command, it's a permission. And it is a reluctant permission at that. It is not a command, it is a reluctant permission at that. If we are seeking divorce... Any person who is seeking God's permission for divorce from Scripture has not yet fully grasped what membership in God's kingdom fully entails. The call to take up one's cross and follow Jesus marks the Christian life as one of suffering. For believers, there will be times in this life where great Suffering for Christ's sake is the loudest witness a Christian can make. There are derivations and differences within the New Testament as to what constitutes valid divorce. But one thing all of these texts are in agreement about is that God is unyieldingly committed to His original intent for marriage as a permanent one flesh union between two people which reflects Christ's sacrificial service to His church. They don't yield on this. Richard B. Hayes, New Testament scholar at Duke University, notes that in the context of God's kingdom, that is here, the church. This message is for the church, for believers. I suspect that unbelievers who divorce have far greater problems than divorce. They are divorced from God. 
Listen to what Richard Hayes says. Divorce can only be a step in the wrong direction for a believer. It is moving away from the wholeness ultimately promised to the people of God. For those in Christ, Hayes continues, therefore, divorce is to be avoided in every way possible. For it is incongruous with the gospel of God's reconciling love. Let me repeat that phrase again. It is incongruous with the gospel of God's reconciling love. I was, I'm a, we were talking this week about my love language and Stephanie and I took the five love language quiz. We found out what her love language was. I thought it was to give her a bowling ball for Christmas and a new TV for Christmas. Turns out hers is acts of service. But one of the love languages is words of affirmation. How we speak to one another. How we will to love and how we will to serve. In every one of those love languages, it requires us to sacrifice something of ourselves and give it to another. But this last phrase by Hayes jumped off the the page to me as a great example of that self-sacrificing love that the five love language speaks about. It is incongruous with the gospel of God's reconciling love to divorce our spouse. You think about what God has done for us. He has willed to love us even though we are unlovely. And even though sometimes we are unloving, He has loved us. What does this mean? It means that when our marriages hit hard times, we must not look for a way out, but rather to God's faithfulness and His original intentions for marriage. Devotion to the cross, not divorce in the courts, should be our goal. This is not to take lightly or to throw aside the heartache and the hurt that marriage can often produce. There should, in fact, be mutual joy in marriage, but the unfortunate reality is that many marriages haven't taken the necessary steps to procure that joy and have deteriorated into prisons of hopelessness. But since all of us here can only be on one of three sides when it comes to divorce... My focus this morning is on preparing our future marriages, healing our hurting marriages, and preaching repentance and forgiveness for our failed marriages. So what do we do now? We understand that Jesus taught last week and Jesus teaches us that divorce should be avoided at all cost, even the cost of your happiness. We're not entitled for everyone to love us and be perfect in this life. It's two imperfect people getting together that are going to change. And God so desires for us to put our personal happiness, to, to leave it, leave it behind us and take up a cross. And sometimes, even in our marriages, to take up that cross. 
well then, does the Bible permit divorce? The Bible permits divorce in two areas, and I add a third. The first area where the Bible permits divorce is in sexual immorality. You look back at verse 9 of our passage. Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. There is permission, reluctant, sad permission, that when one of the two members of a marriage are sexually immoral, that is, they have defiled the marriage bed by sleeping or uniting themselves with another sexually, God permits divorce. It is not commanded. Many, many, many marriages have been able to withstand sexual immorality and have testified to the world of the redeeming love of our Savior by sticking through that, by seeking for help, even when one spouse has united him or herself with another. The Bible also permits divorce in the area of abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. If you have in your Bibles, turn into 1 Corinthians 7, 15. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. On his long discourse about marriage, Paul adds here, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Paul is speaking about a phenomenon that was going on in Corinth. In Corinth at the time, the gospel had infiltrated Greek polytheism. And what was happening in the church was that some men and women had received the Holy Spirit and were now believers, but were already in a marriage union with an unbeliever. In the case of a woman who had the right to divorce her husband, it was expected of her nonetheless to adopt the gods of her husband. Plutarch spoke about this and spoke that it was to no avail for a woman if she did not follow the gods of her husband. But many women were coming to know Jesus as their Savior and were still married to men and expected to follow their gods. And Paul says, no, you cannot follow their gods. If this separates your union, let him go. You are absolved of guilt. Let your conscience be free. He encourages them to stay together if the unbelieving spouse is there. And they should stay together. If they've already married, one has been converted, they should stay together. But if the other unbelieving spouse wants to leave, Paul says, let them go. You're free to go. The last exemption that I give, not the Lord, is in the area of physical abuse. Turn to 1 Timothy 5, 8. I want to say before I give this command that 
if you're involved in physical abuse, get help immediately. Remove yourself from the danger. At the very least, divorce is not your concern. It is removing yourself from harm. We can talk about divorce at a later date. For now, if you are in an abusive relationship, remove yourself from the situation. Too many marriages are abusive. Women and men should remove themselves from physical abuse. Here's where I give my principle. 1 Timothy 5, 8. This is me and not the Lord. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What could be worse? What could be a more extreme example than not providing by literally harming your children and your spouse. You, madam, if you are abusive to your husband. You, sir, if you are abusive to your wife. Scripture says, or to your children, you are worse than an infidel. You are worse than unbelievers. I, not the Lord, give a third exception and permission to this. And that is abuse based upon 1 Timothy 5.8. Well, now what? Now what? Many of us find ourselves in one of these three places. Well, what do we do now to the divorced person? Some of you might be sitting out there and saying, I'm divorced, what do I do now? I see now that God is unpleased with this. None of us can deny that much from the text. The first thing I want us to know is that God forgives divorce if we repent. Turn in your Bibles, if you would to John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. The story is the story of the Samaritan woman. It's odd enough that Jesus is even speaking with a Samaritan, let alone an apparently dubious woman. A woman who has a very questionable life, sexually, maritally. And they get to this point where Jesus is going to reveal Himself as Messiah and here's how he does it. Jesus says to her, go and call your husband and come here. He knows what he's doing. The woman answers him, I have no husband. She is divorced. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. None of us can lie to Jesus this morning about our sexual past 
or our marital past. But Jesus stands here today with an open Bible and a loving spirit saying, I ask you for water. Would you have fellowship with me? The woman goes on to be a great witness in her town. And the Bible says that many in her town became followers of Christ, including herself. Well, I know of no other way of becoming a follower of Christ except first through repentance. And the narrative leaves us with the assumption that the woman is forgiven of her sins. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, all of our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our trespasses and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are divorced, God will forgive you if you repent. It's that last part that concerns me though because the world excuses our divorce and God's word doesn't. Well, what do we do if our divorce was sinful and we remarried? You go back to our passage in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. And in Luke, if he remarries, they become adulterous, both the woman and the man. Matthew 19.9 tells us that the man becomes adulterous if he remarries. So what do we do if our divorce was sinful and we went ahead and remarried? Many people think that the answer is to divorce again. No. Because divorce is not a perpetual sin. It is a one-time, ask-for-forgiveness-forgiven type of sin. What do you do? Repent and remain in your current marriage and work to make that marriage the kind of God-glorifying marriage He intends it to be. And God will forgive you. Craig Blomberg says this, Divorced Christians who have remarried should not commit the sin of a second divorce to try to resume relations with a previous spouse. Even Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 forbids it but instead should begin afresh to observe God's standards by remaining faithful to their current partners. Well, what should we do if our divorce was sinful and we are currently unmarried? What should we do if our divorce was sinful, that is, the person did not cheat, you were not abandoned, and you were not physically abused? Anything else, Scripture calls sin. I'm going to read three verses to you, and you tell me. Matthew 5.32, Jesus says this, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So in our first verse, we've already got two adulterers. The woman who was divorced by her husband and the person who marries the divorced woman. Our second verse is Matthew 19, 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So now the one who is divorced is an adulterer. The one who was divorced, the woman, in the case of Matthew 5, and the one who marries the divorced woman are all in this big adulterous 
life. We want to be careful here. We want to be careful here because the first two are victims of the man's great sin in 19.9. It is he who is the guilty party. 1 Corinthians 7.10-11 says this, To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. How can I, in good conscience, say anything less than what Scripture says? The one who separates from his or her spouse for any reason except marital unfaithfulness and or abandonment and or abuse must not remarry. I'm eager for anyone here, please, show me where the Bible permits remarriage. Show me. I'm eager. I'll be the first to accept it. I looked for it so that I wouldn't have to bring such a difficult teaching to the church. Those who have divorced for illegitimate reasons must not remarry if they are currently unmarried. Maybe you're feeling like the apostles did when they heard Jesus teach this for the first time. The response to Jesus was, if such is the case, Jesus, if what you're saying is true, if marriage is that serious, if divorce is that serious, they say to him, it's better than not to marry. And Jesus says to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. In other words, It is hard, and it's that hard. And only those who are in the kingdom should be expected to receive such a hard saying, to follow the commands of God. Only those who are in the kingdom have such an ability to do so. This is what Scripture teaches. What do we do now, unmarried and single? The Lord taught us here to enter into marriage with the intent of remaining married for the rest of our lives. Jesus says to the unmarried and to the single at the end of this very verse in Matthew 19, 10 through 12, when the disciples ask him the question, it's better than that we shouldn't marry, Jesus says, yeah, it's that serious, but if you're going to be married, it's lifelong. Listen to what he says at the very end. Not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. He means those who are incapable of fulfilling their conjugal rights in marriage. I don't want to describe a eunuch. Please, look it up on your phone. And don't hit images. Then there are eunuchs who have made, been made eunuchs by men. They usually worked with the queen. That was the deal. You want to work with the queen. You want to live in the palace. If you're going to be a man and you're going to take care of my wife, we're going to make you a eunuch. Again, 
That is someone who is incapable of feeling their, fulfilling their sexual or their sexuality. And then finally, he says, there are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Those who have decided to abstain from sexuality for the sake of following Christ. Paul was an example of one of these eunuchs. But to the unmarried and the single, if you do marry, you're not sinning. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The way to safeguard against sexual immorality in the church is for one man and one woman to get married. There, within the confines of the marriage, and after the two have stood before God and witnesses, or if you want to go down to the end of the street and walk into the marriage license center and get a marriage license, after that, then sex is permitted and blessed. Before then, for Christians, no sex at all. Well, what do we do now, though, to the married? And this is important for everyone. These are my recommendations for building a healthy marriage. Stephanie and I will miraculously have been married this March 12th, May 12th, May 12th. <laughs> for 10 years, we will have been together for 13 this May. Yeah. The only reason we clap is because divorce is so common in our culture. Well, here's my tips on how not to just live in a marriage. So are you saying today, Pastor, that, that because Jesus is so hard on divorce, he only, the Bible only permits it in two areas, you permit a third, that unless those three are there, that we've got to live in a loveless marriage? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. To the married who aren't having problems, to the newly married who are still on their honeymoon, to the have been married and are beginning to have problems, to the I'm at the end of my rope with this person marriage. I'm going to give five tips, five tips that I believe will help your marriage. Number one, build a triangular marriage where Christ is the head of your relationship with your spouse. Build a triangular marriage where Christ is the head of your relationship with your spouse. Paul tells wives, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. Paul tells the church, why do we submit and love one another and why are we to be humble to one another? Because we first love Christ. 
I say triangular, and you've heard me say this before, because every single relationship that we have is always, always to begin with our vertical responsibility to Christ Jesus, to see the good in that person, to love them when they are unlovely, to love widows and orphans, to love even jerks, to love racists, to love murderers, to preach in prisons, to be with those who have HIV and AIDS, and hug on them and love them, and care for them and preach to them the gospel, all of the worst of worst people because that's what he did for you. And that's what he did for me. And I'm saying apply this to your marriage. Oh, but you don't understand, Andrew. She is so hard to deal with. If only God would come down and say, you don't understand. What about your love for pornography? What about your love for sports? What about your love for a job more than my Sunday worship? But I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. Make God a personal and a corporate priority in your marriage, husband and wife. And if your husband's not here today, or your wife's not here today, and only you're hearing it, then go home and live to Christ for them. Make God a personal and corporate priority in your marriage. Worship personally and together. Make daily devotion a priority both personally and together. Make discipleship personally and together your greatest priority. Husband, you probably shouldn't be happy where you are with your spouse today. You might need to hit the treadmill. I know I do. I don't know how it's possible you can walk 20,000 steps at Disney and still gain weight. I mean, granted, I was holding one of those Mickey ice creams in my hand the whole time. But when I got home last night, we keep our scale under the bed. That's just in case we don't want to feel bad. We want it out of the way. So I just reached underneath the bed and I pulled it with my toes. Just let me see. I feel good. I walked 20,000 steps yesterday, 10,000 steps today, and I stood on it. And it was, oh my gosh. And I, you know what I thought? I thought to myself, why should Stephanie have to live with my lack of discipline? Hmm? I wouldn't want to live with her lack of discipline. Why should she have to live with mine? You have a physical, spiritual, and emotional responsibility, each spouse, to live for your other, to the, for the other. It is not take me as I am. Give yourself to the other person. Make the sacrifices necessary. Number two, make your marriages other-directed. Make your marriage about the other person. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, we don't like that. But Paul is hoping for a perfect Christian marriage where the wife gives to her husband what God has asked her to give to him. And now, 
Paul is preaching about the best our marriages can be from the husband's side. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Husband, your job is to love your wife sacrificially forever. She never lets me do anything then don't do anything for the glory of God. You say, well, that's a miserable existence. I am sorry, but see the love and see the good witness and see the glory of Christ and see that what you are doing is giving back to Him. We have not yet grasped what Paul taught in Romans 8, 18 when he said, I tell you that the sufferings of this life are not even worth comparing with the glories of the next. If we really believed that, we'd live in those marriages that are tough. Because we understand that the next life is not even worth comparing. You talk about heaven, but then live like it. Live like you really believe that in this life it's worth me putting up with a little bit of suffering. It's worth me carrying this cross. But both spouses should be seeking other directed love. It should be a holy competition where one spouse tries to outdo the other spouse in their self-sacrifice. Paul says, when that happens, this is exactly the way that the church relates to Christ. What do your homes tell the world about Christ and the church? Christ died for you. God left his throne and came to earth and took on the indignity of a human body subject to physical corruption. Stomach aches, cold and sinus, flogging with a cat of nine tails, death on a cross, naked and humiliated, spat on by the very creatures he created. He did that for his church. What then is it for us to submit to him for the rest of our lives? Because we are so utterly awed by how great a sacrifice our God has made for us. And Paul says at the end of this passage, I am talking about a profound mystery that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wow. Number three, change your language with one another. Speak blessings and not cursings and strive to build up your spouse without tearing them down. Number four, delineate responsibilities according to the Bible and common sense, not culture. Let me say this again. Delineate the responsibilities of a household according to the Bible and common sense, not culture. In my culture, the wife cooks for the man. Yeah? Does she work 45 hours a week just like your lazy butt does? Then get up and set the table. Common sense, 
not your culture. Why should your wife work 45, 50 hours a week and be expected to make dinner and clean all the dishes because that's a woman's job? Come on. Go put your gloves on if you're that type of man, which I am not, and get in the sink and wash the dishes. Make dinner every once in a while. You are not, listen, you can tell me about all the great feats that men do. Man, I watch all these sports and I see they got these pictures and they're going through the glory of Michael Jordan. He's sticking his tongue out and he's dunking, man. And yeah, that's what a real man does. Oh, he climbed Mount Everest. Yeah, that's what a real man does. Did he change diapers? Did he love his wife? You're not impressing me until you change a dirty diaper. <laughs> Get in there and change a dirty diaper. Help out. Find me where scripture says a man shall not cook or change dirty diapers or clean a house. Show me. It's not there. It's something your lazy, divorced uncle taught you. And you've been listening to him. Oh, my uncle's real cool. Balding and fat and divorced. And we're going to listen to him for marital advice. Oh, but he knows, man. He keeps it real. Yeah, he keeps it real single. And he tells you about his sexcapades. He is lying. <laughs> Married couples have more sex than single people. And better sex than single people. True story. I don't care what all the sitcoms tell you. It's false. Oh, he's living a single life. Yeah, he probably, no. Mm -mm, he's not. You are. If you're married. And you do your dishes for your wife, you are. Sexiest thing you can do, men. Your wife comes home and that house is clean. That's like putting on Marvin Gaye. <laughs> hey, I'm going to take that advice home. You say, I don't get what I'm doing wrong. I mean, the house is disgusting and I'm stapling the banana peel to the side of the garbage, but I got Marvin Gaye on. No, 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 no. Clean the house. But change your language with one another. Delineate responsibilities according to the Bible and common sense. Last thing I'll tell you. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you. This is just something, my attitude towards marriage. Will yourself to love your spouse through prayer and long-suffering. Will yourself to love your spouse through prayer and long-suffering. Men and women should both be praying, God, let me only desire my spouse for the rest of my life. When we are old and wrinkling, let me only have eyes for her. Let me only have eyes for her. Let me only have eyes for him, wives. Don't feed that mind. 
by watching things where you're looking at other men. Oh, you can look at the menu, but you ain't got to eat. Wrong. I don't ever look at a menu if I'm not intending to eat. You know what I stop doing? Looking at menus. Jesus just taught us a couple weeks ago. If that right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Pray that God will bless your sex life. Pray that God will bless your conversation life, that he will bless your connection. Pray that he will give you the ability to sacrifice as a wife and to be a Christ-like wife. Pray that he will give you the ability to sacrifice as a husband and to be a Christ-like husband. Love is an action. It is not an affection. These words Paul gave to the church, Ephesians 4, 30 and 31, before, before, directly before he taught about marriage, here's what he said. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, bitterness is that unwillingness to forgive. Wrath is that holding on to anger and the desire to see evil happen to that person. Anger, wishing for murder, Jesus defined anger as. Clamor, which is speaking evil against. It is arguing and fighting. Slander is false lies, making things up about your loved one. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from your marriages. My translation. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You can go home today and begin to will that right now. You don't have to wait. You can will it today. My final challenge to you is this. Expect and accept that your marriage will have changes and challenges. That's why we say, till death do you part. Richer for poorer, sickness and health, Good times and bad, because everyone who's been married before understands that there are changes and challenges in marriage. Expect it and accept it. Know that the part of faith is being granted new mercies by God each day for the evil thereof. And no matter how bad your marriage can get, if you have willed yourself to be faithful, God will give you the mercies fresh and anew each day. With God's help and your personal and corporate, that is between you and your spouse, with God's help and your personal and corporate choice to love your marriage, marriage can be one of the greatest joys in life. Let's pray. Lord, we've learned this morning again that marriage is a serious thing. Not many of us can accept what you taught, but it is nonetheless what you taught. 
Father, for the divorced here today. Stir in their hearts the need to repent. Let them say with their mouth and confess with their mouth that they have sinned against you and let them receive the forgiveness that you give immediately to all those who ask. Lord, to the unmarried who know that their divorce, Lord God, was illegitimate in your eyes, give them the grace and the strength to see the value and virtue of remaining single so that they might serve you. To the divorced and remarried, build in that new marriage a godly marriage. To the single and to the unmarried God, give them chastity, a gift that you can give as they wait for their spouse. Give them the gift of knowledge from the older marriages in this church. Let them look beyond Facebook to the faithful marriages within these doors. And to the married God, breathe life back into our marriages as we seek to sacrificially serve our spouses all for your glory so that we might witness to the world the type of faithful spouse you, Lord Jesus, are to us. Amen.